Woo! Well, good morning, church. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you guys. For everyone who's watching online, good morning. Uh, let me just pray, and let's go to the Father together, shall we? Lord, we are so grateful that we get to gather as a family this morning, that we get to hear from your word, that we get to uh, just meet with you, Lord. And we know that you meet us here, God, that you are speaking to us, Lord. We pray uh, that you would just continue to uh, chip away at us, Lord. Would you continue to make us more like you? Would you allow us to see the beauty of who you are and the beauty of your saving grace each and every day, God? So we love you. We thank you. It's in your beautiful name. Amen. So all of us probably know what cause and effect is, right? When something happens, there's an effect. And so I, I thought of a couple of different examples and thinking of cause and effect and what that really looks like for us in our everyday lives. So uh, first example, right? I mow my lawn, my allergies flare up, and I start to sneeze, right? Kind of a cause and effect. Uh, maybe sports are on TV. There's probably people watching because sports are on TV. Someone scores a touchdown or a goal or something in that very sport. People cheer, right? Unless it's for Iowa, then nobody cheers. Uh, we go and we see coupons, right? And then we go and we shop because it's coupons and stuff is on sale. So that means we need more. Um, or uh, there's a contest and you're able to win something free or you go to the mall and you see the car that's standing there and it's like, just fill this little card out and you'll maybe win. And of course, I'm going to go and I'm going to fill the little card out and hope I win a brand new car. Never happens, but uh, I'm still waiting for the Lord to provide that way. Uh, uh, another way, um, cause and effect, kid cries. Parent usually pays attention and goes, oh, got to pick the kid up. Something happened. Um, another one, uh, you put a plate of cookies in the room, Ricky's going to eat all of them. You put a salad in front of me, I'll probably just kind of get up and go, oh, salad, not so good. Uh, but anyway, the, the reality is with all of this, we can see the consistency that there's a cause and effect, right? And there's a beautiful thing that we can rely and see that our God is much more consistent than we could ever see in anything else, that our God is reliable. And we'll see that today in Acts chapter 2, that when God's Spirit fills God's people, God moves. So uh, as we walk through Acts chapter 2, we're going to see three things primarily. We'll see the empowerment of the Spirit, we'll see the explanation of the Spirit, and we'll see the effect of the Spirit. So uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 uh, with us. So please open up your Bibles and read with me again verses 1 to 8. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and they said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So we read of the beautiful day of Pentecost, right? A miraculous day that Jesus had promised that the Spirit would come upon his people, that he would 
fill his people, and we get to see the beautiful celebration of what Pentecost is. And so I, I just want to talk about Pentecost for a quick sec to give some background. Pentecost was actually a holiday that was celebrated prior to Christ's coming, prior to Christ's ascension. It was actually uh, what they would have called the, the Feast of the Harvest. And so you can see that in Deuteronomy chapter 16, the different feasts, the different celebrations. So this was actually a day that the Jewish people would have been celebrating for hundreds of thousands of years, that they're just celebrating the harvest that the Lord has provided for them. And so Pentecost comes and we see why all of the people from kind of different nations are all there, right? They're all gathered together and they did that not because they knew that the Spirit of God was coming, but because they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the fact that God had provided in a harvest, right? That God had provided for them. So Pentecost is 50 days post-resurrection and it's 10 days post-ascension. So 10 days after the ascension. So Pentecost was something that was celebrated prior to Jesus and now we still get to celebrate Pentecost here today, that we get to celebrate what God did on that beautiful, beautiful day. And we read of how he came, right? Like, like the sound of a rushing wind. And, and we get the description of the wind and we get the description of the tongues of fire and we go, oh my gosh, that's absolutely amazing. And that's absolutely miraculous because we think of those, this event, right? And we think of those two specific things and we go, what? That's kind of like a miracle. But there's an even greater miracle that happens at Pentecost. And it's the fact that the Spirit of God, God himself, fills his people and he dwells with them. That God actually comes and dwells with his people, the church. That's the beautiful miracle that we get to read of and see and think, wow, this is absolutely miraculous. The day that Christ has promised has finally come and God dwells with his people. He comes and he fills his people, and he empowers them to continue to go. As Luke describes the Spirit come upon them, he uses the two king themes, right? Of the wind and of the tongues of fire come upon them, empowering the people of God. But the promised Holy Spirit has finally come. The promise that they've been waiting for, that Jesus told them would happen. God dwelling in his people. This is a beautiful celebration. That we get to look back and go, I can't believe God desires to dwell with us, to dwell in us, to empower us to continue to go. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, the, the same Spirit that hovered over the earth in Genesis 1, the same Spirit that continues to do a beautiful work is in us as believers. God himself desires to be with his people and he desires to fill his people and he desires to empower his people. It's absolutely wonderful and it's not just some fancy superpower, friends. This is God himself, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And what we see through this is that God desires to use his people, right? We see that God's spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts, and we see that all over chapter 2 of Acts, that God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. You guys ever tried to learn a different language, right? Uh, so I have the pleasure of knowing Spanish, but then when I took Spanish class in high school, I had to learn all the proper grammar and everything that I actually didn't know. And I know for some of you maybe who have learned a second language, it's not easy. It's really difficult. It's really hard to learn a second language. And even then, 
If you're a super genius and you pick it up super quick, it's still really tough because then you have to go and be with the culture and, and be surrounded with it so that you would be fluent in it because there's things that you're taught maybe that's actual like the real grammar behind it that people don't actually speak that way. And you have to pick up on that stuff. And being a super genius even and having a really smart brain that's able to do that, it, it still makes it difficult to learn a language. And so my point is here that God uses weak people and he empowers them. It's God's spirit that fills them and empowers them to speak the other language. And it's not just because he desires to teach them to speak some new fancy language, right? For them to show off to other people. No, it's because the day of Pentecost is here. The day of Pentecost had arrived and the nations had come to Jerusalem. And so God fills his people so that they would be able to proclaim the gospel, so that they'd be able to share the works of God to those who haven't heard, so that they would be able to share the truth of Christ Jesus with the nations because God wants people to know him. God desires for people to know him. And we see that clearly here as he empowers his people through the Holy Spirit. God moves when he fills his people. In verse 11, we read of how the people who weren't the disciples, right? The people who didn't walk with Jesus, they, they see the disciples and hear them start speaking in different languages and they're blown away, right? They're absolutely amazed that this is happening. And they say in verse 11, they say, we hear them in our own tongue. The mighty works of God is what they're proclaiming. This is wild. And people just begin to move and speak at the utterance of God's spirit so that he would be proclaimed for his glory, so that more people would know him. God desires to make himself famous. And we see that this isn't about their power. This isn't about some cool gift that God has given to them. No, it's about his name being made famous. We clearly see that when God's spirit fuels God's mission, he does it by empowering weak people, and God moves in the midst of that. The disciples were uneducated, sinful men and women who followed Jesus. And in the midst of that, God empowers them and he fills them and he dwells with them, not so they could sit with it, but to go to the nations, to continue to make his name famous. Friends, do you believe that that same power of God has filled you? Do you, do you actually believe that that same spirit dwells within you, that God himself resides in you as a believer, as a child of God, as one who's been redeemed by the king, do you actually believe that the Spirit of God has filled you and desires to use you, to empower you? I, I think sometimes it's really easy to say, yeah, God used to work in really cool ways back then, but God doesn't really work in cool ways now, right? We get caught up in thinking that, yeah, God's probably not going to do that because it, it's just not as cool. God doesn't work that way anymore. And we start to think, yeah, God probably isn't going to save my coworker. He, he's probably not going to save my friend. He's probably not going to save my mom or my dad. They're just too far off from it. They've just denied him too many times. He's, just, he's probably just not going to save them. He's not going to heal that, that sick person. They're just really sick. He's, he's probably not going to fix my marriage. He's not going to help me raise my kids. He's not going to uh, rid me of this addiction or take away my sin. And we start to think that God actually can't do those things. But we know when, when God's Spirit fills His people, God moves. And God can do anything that He desires to. 
Do you believe that that power of God, that Holy Spirit, the person of God, dwells within you and desires to use you to love others well, to continue to proclaim His name and make His name famous because we know that that same Spirit, that same God dwells in you and desires to empower you, desires to send you out, to proclaim the beauties of who He is as we see at the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we get caught up thinking that God's not going to move that way anymore, that God's not going to be that powerful, that He's not going to do all of these wonderful things and we brush it off and we throw it under the rug. But the power of God is real and the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit dwells in you as believers. He is with you always. When God fills His people, God moves. He's empowered us as believers to actually trust and rely on Him because we can't live the Christian life without the Spirit of God. You, you just can't lead yourself because you'll fail and you'll fall. In the midst of it, we try to use our own gifts and talents, right? There, there's times where we get caught up using our gifts and talents. I get caught up with my own gifts and talents sometimes and I try to lead myself and I try to go about things my own way. And I say, yeah, I'm going to just use my charismatic personality to get people to like me in that way uh, that they'll think I'm pretty cool. Or, or I'll start thinking, yeah, I'll just be really kind to people and I'll woo kind of them away from kind of the hard conversations because I don't really want to have the hard conversations. Or, or we'll use uh, whatever relationship we try to have to get what we want. And we try to use our own gifts, our own talents, our own power for our own glory, right? And we try to lead ourselves and lift ourselves up in the midst of that. And the issue with that is that we're lifting ourselves up rather than lifting up God. Rather than realizing He's the one that's given us those gifts and giving the glory to Him. And we try to lead ourselves rather than listen to the Spirit. And we should rely on the Spirit of God to lead us, to continue to move in our lives to convict us, to point us more towards Him because we can't lift ourselves up because we will fail, because we're broken, we're sinful and we'll think about ourselves constantly rather than thinking about others and we'll think about ourselves rather than thinking about Jesus and we'll try to promote ourselves rather than promoting Him. We can rely on the Spirit of God to continue to lead us. Very easy to relay, rely on the Spirit of God is just to pray, to ask Him to move, to ask Him to lead, to listen to Him as He leads you, right? To stop and to sit and just say, Lord, what is it? Where am I going? How, how, how are you teaching me in this moment, right? You guys, you guys ever been in a, in a fight with maybe a spouse or a parent or a sibling, someone in your life? And in the middle of that conversation... <laughs> In the middle of that argument, the Spirit kind of convicts you and you have to stop. And, and you know, they say, oh, take 10 seconds to respond before you respond. That way you don't respond harshly. And typically the unbeliever will actually take 10 seconds to count. But the believer should take 10 seconds to pray, to ask God to lead them in the midst of that argument 
to, to ask God to lead to reconciliation, to ask God to actually lead us to say, I'm sorry. Because the Spirit of God convicts us and moves in our hearts, friends, and we should listen and follow and take God's leading. The Spirit dwells in us and desires to move in our lives, desires to empower us to continue to live the Christian life, to continue to love others well, to continue to proclaim His good name. We mustn't rely on ourselves, but we must rely on God and trust Him and know that He's working in our life, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you to empower you to continue to make His name famous, not your name, not by your power, not by your talents, not by your leading, but all by His. That the Spirit of God dwells within you, believer. He desires to lead you and to keep leading you. So we see the, the power of the Spirit to continue to go. And so Peter desires to explain a little further for those who don't know Jesus what the Spirit's doing. And we see the explanation of the Spirit come from Peter as he preaches the gospel to thousands. So read with me verses 14 to 21. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all my flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood." Before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We read just above in verse 12 that they say, what does this mean, right? Those who are listening to the disciples as they're preaching and sharing truth in a different language, those who look on say, what does this mean? And they respond in two different ways. There's kind of two different crowds, right? Some of them are absolutely amazed and they're like, wow, we're hearing the beauty of God at work. We're hearing of God's great gospel. We're hearing of what Jesus has done and the other crowd tries to push it away. They try to explain everything away and say, no, that's not actually what's happening. Uh, they're probably just drunk. And Peter quickly stands up to defend what God is doing and he starts telling the crowd, he goes, it's 9 a.m., they, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. This is God at work. This is God himself doing a beautiful, amazing work. And he preaches one of the most beautiful sermons in all of Scripture that you'll ever read. And one example quickly that we can grasp from Peter, just a quick side note, is as they start attacking and saying and explaining away what God is doing, Peter quickly goes to Scripture and he quotes scripture too. He, he quotes two pieces of scripture, right? He quotes the prophet Joel and he quotes King David. Uh, and, and that's how he defends what God is doing. 
by using God's word. And so that's just a quick example for what we can do to defend the faith, is point to scripture easily. But Peter goes on to uh, talk about Joel and what Joel prophesies, and he gives kind of the excerpt of what Joel's saying. And this is Joel prophesying about the coming of the Spirit that is happening that day at Pentecost. And he's saying, man, the prophecy is being fulfilled. The day is here. God is finally doing this, that he's giving the gifts to the apostles to continue to proclaim God's name that he's talking about these visions or he's talking about the, the gifts of tongues, the gift to prophesy. That's what God is doing here today. What Joel prophesied is happening at that moment. And he also prophesies of the day to come, right? The day of the Lord. But just as the prophet Joel was filled with the Spirit, now the disciples, apostles are filled with the Spirit. And we know when God fills his people, God moves because he's empowered the disciples to continue to proclaim His glories, His excellencies, His beauties to the nations. The promise to fill them has arrived. And He's still at work and He's still using them to continue to do a wonderful, beautiful work. Now Joel kind of talks about these different gifts that God's going to give. And, uh, and some of us may read that and go, does that mean all of us? should be having something like this? Does that mean all of us should be doing something like this? Well, no, it, it doesn't mean that all of us are going to have the gift of prophecy, but it does mean that each believer, each Christian, each person who follows Jesus now shares the responsibility and the wonderful gift that the Old Testament prophets had, right? That we get to have an intimate relationship with God, and that we get to proclaim God's glory through God's word faithfully. We share in that responsibility to continue to have a beautiful relationship with the Lord and to proclaim God's word, to proclaim who he is and what he's done. That's what we see. That's what we get to live out. That the Spirit of God has empowered us and filled us to have an intimate relationship with him, right? Because he dwells with us as his people to be close to us. But He also dwells within us to empower us, to send us to go forward. Because when God fills His people, God moves. And God does miraculous things. And God does wonderful things. And God makes Himself famous, not us famous. That the Spirit comes upon us. And some of you may kind of cringe at that, right? Kind of cringe at the fact that we have a responsibility to go and proclaim God's name. It may scare you or make you a little nervous. But the truth is that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you to encourage you, to move in you, to transform you, to equip you, to send you, to convict you, to lead you. This is what the Spirit of God does in our own hearts. As He dwells so intimately with us, He also changes us, transforms us, encourages us to continue to make His name famous to continue to proclaim his word we see he does this in the life of peter right think think of peter three months ago in luke 22 we get this excerpt this story of jesus's uh kind of sentencing and his imprisonment and as Peter is watching this happen, a dear friend of Jesus who's walked with Jesus, who's seen Jesus proclaim the kingdom of God, seen Jesus perform miracles, 
He says, I don't know him. When a little girl points him out in a crowd and says, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter hides like a coward and says, that's, nope, wrong guy. Not me. And then just a few minutes later, we see a man see Peter and go, yeah, you're, you're one of the guys that followed that man, aren't you? You're one of his friends. Peter goes, you got the wrong guy. Not me. And a third time, a different man sees Peter and goes, hey, yeah, you're, you're one of those guys. Peter goes, you guys have it all wrong. I, I don't know why you keep saying I know him. And this is a dear friend of Jesus, denying him, running away from him, shying away from saying, yes, I know him. And in John chapter 20, we get the beautiful story of grace to come upon Peter. Because after Jesus rises from the grave and sits with the disciples, he looks to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Jesus looks at Peter again and he says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. And for a third time, Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's kind of annoyed at this point because he's already answered it twice and he goes, of course, Lord, I, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter feeds the sheep. We see when God fills his people, God moves. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon Peter and fills him and gives him the courage to continue to go and proclaim the beauty of Jesus Christ to 3,000 people. The same man who was a coward and ran away is now proclaiming the beautiful truth of Christ Jesus because when God fills his people, God moves. That Spirit of God filled a weak cowardly fishermen to stand before 3,000 people to proclaim God's beautiful word. Because we get to see and know that, when God, that God's spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people, us, to continue to proclaim his beautiful name as he's telling us to feed the sheep, as he gives us grace and forgives us of our transgressions. Peter continues on in his sermon and proclamation of the truth of who Jesus is. And in verses 22 and 23, we read, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Peter proclaims this definite plan, this definite plan that God has, right? That, that while we've abandoned Peter much, or while we've abandoned Jesus much like Peter, right? We've run away, we've been ashamed, we've been afraid, 
We've rebelled. We've lifted ourselves up. We've continued to fall into our own sin, leading ourselves, living life the way we so choose to. Yet God was still merciful. Yet He was still gracious. Yet He was still kind enough and wonderful enough to step into our lives and give us that same grace that He gave to Peter and ask us the same question. Do you love me? And we get to respond, yes, Lord, we love you. This was God's definite plan. This is a fact. This is a reality that Jesus did come, that Jesus did die for sinful people, that he did raise from the grave and ascend to the right hand of the Father, that we can call him Lord and Savior, that he did die for our sin, each and every single one of us. It was never plan B to send Jesus, but always plan A to save us from our sin. This was God's definite plan that our eternity can be completely changed because God is so good, because He's so wonderful, because He's filled us with His Spirit to regenerate our hearts, to point us towards Him. And we see in Titus chapter 3, uh, just a little, a couple of pieces of what the Spirit does in our lives, right? That He regenerates our hearts, that He transforms us to follow Jesus, that He convicts us of our sin all so that we can give the glory to Him, to point to Jesus. And friends, when you trust in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that the person of God desires to dwell with you, in you, to empower you and transform you and change you and use you to proclaim God's glory, God's mercy, God's grace of all that He's done to continue to share of who He is And He's transforming you just like He transformed Peter. And He's changing us and leading us to proclaim His glory. This is the explanation of the Spirit that Peter gives. That God has come to fill His people to continue to move and save souls. That the Holy Spirit came to fill weak people And when this Holy Spirit comes and fills you, He works in you. Because God's Spirit fuels God's mission by empowering weak people. I joyfully say, I am weak, but He is strong. And we can all joyfully say that together. That this is the definite plan of God. That through salvation, through Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us confidence to believe that He gives us confidence in our assured salvation through Christ, that He gives us confidence to trust that the Spirit has filled us, to use us to work at Pentecost and work here today in our lives, in your life, to use you to give the explanation of the Gospel to others, to see the effect of the Spirit that they saw at Pentecost. So let's read about that effect together. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Peter finishes his sermon, and um, I think God knew it was a lot of words, so he just kind of cut it off where it says, yeah, with many other words, Peter kept going. Um, Maybe one day we'll get to hear the rest of it, but uh, Peter joyfully proclaims the truth of who Jesus is, right? And they were cut to the heart. And those who were hearing were cut to the heart. And there's two different things that happens. There's two different ways that they respond after this, that they're cut to the heart. And in verse 36, we see why they're cut to the heart, because Peter says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, that this Jesus whom you crucified. And so they come to understand that Jesus is Christ and Lord right? That he's savior and Lord of our lives, that he's king of the entire universe, all while being the same man who died for us to give us everlasting life. And they see that they were cut to the heart, that they were wrong about who Jesus was. Whether it was maybe they didn't believe that he rose from the dead, or or maybe they didn't believe that, uh, that that they were telling the truth, or maybe they didn't believe that Jesus was actually the son of God, they were still cut to the heart in that moment to realize that they were wrong about Jesus. To come to see that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the son of God, the one who came to save. They were cut to the heart to see the beauty of who God is. While they were wrong about Jesus, they are now made right with God because of what Jesus has done. The second thing that happened when they were cut to the heart is that they realized that they were the ones that crucified Jesus. They realized that it was because of them that he took the cross, right? While, while us here today, right, aren't the, aren't the actual people who nailed him to that cross, they had that same realization that while I wasn't the one who actually pierced him with the nails and hung him up, it was still my sin. Why he's there why he had to die. It's still because of our sin that led him to the cross. It's still because we broke his heart that he took the cross for us. And they were cut to the heart because they realized that their sins, who they were far from God, disobedient, rebellious people, that he went to the cross for them and they realized that he was crucified because of them and for them that he raised on the third day to defeat death to give them everlasting life and that same thing is true for us here today to come to understand to be cut to the heart to know who Jesus is and to realize that our sin is the reason why Jesus took that cross but he also rose from the grave to give us life so church have you been cut to the heart Have you come to understand who Jesus actually is? 
Have you actually realized that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus did die for us and raise three days later to give us everlasting life? Have you been cut to the heart to come to understand that it's your sin that had him crucified? That it's our sin that he died for? That while we were rebellious, while we were astray, while we led ourselves, He still came for us. Have you been cut to the heart to realize this beautiful truth and the even greater truth that when He raised, when He defeated death, He invited us into a relationship with Him. And He said, you don't have to do the work because I already did it. And we get to understand the fact that this is a free gift from God. That we get to have everlasting life with Christ Jesus because of His death and resurrection and ascension that He reigns at the right hand of the Father. And we joyfully get to proclaim His excellencies. And we joyfully get to have everlasting life because of what He did for us. Friends, before when we sinned, we maybe would say we're breaking God's rules, right? But now when we sin we realize we're breaking God's heart. And we know that we have everlasting life because of Christ's death and resurrection. That we're made right with God because of what He's done. That we get to participate in what the Old Testament prophets were telling us. To have an intimate relationship with God. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit to explain the truth of the gospel to others so that they would know Him. Because when God fills His people, He moves, He transforms, He regenerates, He encourages, He convicts, He leads, He saves. So what do we do? Right? Because that's what all of those who were sitting there listening to Peter's proclamation, they say, well, what now? What do we do now? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Friends, if you're in this room or if you're online watching and you've never trusted in Christ, you yourself, you can give your life over to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who came to save. And you can repent of your sin and turn away from it and turn to Him. And if you have already done that, Peter tells us to be baptized, right? That baptism isn't what saves you, but he tells us to uh, live out the inward reality that God has done, right? That to, to live it out on an outward expression, to be baptized, to show that we were dead and now made alive through Christ Jesus, that we've been cleansed of our sins, to celebrate what God has done. I firmly believe that the first step in obedience for a believer is to actually be baptized. We see it over and over again in Scripture. To be baptized, to proclaim God's glory to the rest of the world because when you were saved, God empowered you, filled you, dwelled with you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we no longer have to be afraid to share that with other people. That we can trust God's going to use our testimony, use our life, use us, to share the truth 
of Christ Jesus with others to celebrate the fact that He's transformed us, that He's regenerated our hearts, that He's given us new life. Would you respond today? And for the believer who's been baptized, right? Oh, wait, with baptism, we're going to have a celebration. Uh, Sorry, I forgot to mention it. We're going to have a celebration on Labor Day Sunday, hopefully, Lord willing, um, with the rest of the City Light churches, depending on what happens with COVID and whatnot. But uh, we're praying that the Lord would be able to do that, to celebrate uh, just as three churches together uh, what God has done in people's lives. And so if you're interested in that, let us know. But anyway, uh, for the believer uh, who's already been baptized, who's already gone through the process uh, of sharing that with everyone, um, friend, do you live like the Holy Spirit is empowering you? Do you believe that the power of God dwells within you and that God is within you? Do you believe that God's going to use you, that He's going to move? Do we actually believe that or do we say, no, God just did it back then? I'm not saying you have to go to work and stand on the table and say, hey, friends, this Jesus of Nazareth. You might get fired if you do that, but God's going to use you. He desires to use you, to empower you, to continue to go and proclaim His name, not just to sit. He didn't save you to make an audience. He didn't save us to sit in the pews. He saved us to tell of His glory, to continue to go. Because when God's Spirit fills God's people, God moves. We can trust that truth, that He empowers weak people for His glory to make His name made strong. We can trust that very truth to continue to preach God's gospel. Right? Al Mohler says this. He says that Pentecost means that every believer can know God truly and must make Him known faithfully. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a participant in the King's mission. He's empowered you by His Spirit to tell of His glory for the world's benefit to tell of his glory for the world's benefit that they would have everlasting life with God the spirit of God empowers God's people to preach God's word to proclaim his glory to share the truth of who he is and I use these words preach the gospel or proclaim the glories and uh, friends it doesn't have to be some huge stand in the middle of the office or share at a giant picnic table, but an actual one-on-one conversation to proclaim the truth of what God's done in your life, to share your testimony, to share what God's doing in your heart. This is how we make His name famous. And He's empowered us to do so. He's encouraged us to do so, to make His name made famous, to continue to go Because when God's Spirit moves, we move too. We follow His leading, being empowered, weak people, to proclaim of the one who is strong. And we get to do that together, forever, for eternity. What a beautiful truth, friends. So let us go and let us be empowered by the Spirit, sharing and explaining the truth of who Jesus is to see the effect of the Holy Spirit moving and saving and empowering lives, to save friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, strangers, so that they would know Jesus.